Yeah, welcome everybody. If you could just take uh, a minute to find your center, your grounding cord, your bubble, and not only that, keep your eyes open and just pick one or two people over there on the screen and sort of send a, send like a connection from your heart to their heart. This is somebody who maybe you don't even know, but somebody that you see over there who you might be able to just tune into and, and know that we're, we're setting up a circle that goes really all around the world right now. And we're gathering in the name of evolution of consciousness and we're gathering in the name of archetypal love. And these are big powerful forces that if you do them on, on purpose, if you do them consciously, they come right down into this space and they come right down into your life and you don't ever have to leave this space. It's so amazing that we have this power to choose the culture that we want to live in, and you don't ever have to leave this space. So you can take a bubble of this with you for a whole week, and then next week you can renew yourself in this space if you want. So just hold on a minute, take a silent, connect in with somebody, and we'll talk again in about one minute. Okay, if everybody could please take a deep breath. I just want, this is our third meeting for reading and studying in the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love Book, which is being also reissued, re republished under the name of Building Love That Lasts. It's the same contents, just, just as a different cover and a different name. You don't have to have one of the books to read along. The point of our study group here is not to get as far as we can in the book. That's not the point. The point is to have study group, which, as we've mentioned before, calls in a certain kind of food for your energetic body, your being, for your heart, for your mind even, different kinds of foods that are precious and rare and useful. And so let yourself get fed. We're not trying to cruise as fast as we can through the book. And we allow, it's, it's, we allow questions. So usually the protocols I read for 10 or 15 minutes and then make a space. And we um, ask anybody who has, if you have a question or an, uh, you want to go deeper into a certain theme or something like that, just bring it up, put your hand up and we'll call on you and we'll go there for a little while. And then we'll, jump back into the book again. So I just wanna see if there's any questions right now. Any questions in, in terms of, in particular, anybody wanna share about the experiments that you did during the week, that, about calling in this thing into, into the spaces that you have been in before? Does anybody wanna share anything about that? 
Ingrid, go ahead. I experienced with the, with the thing which you called the yellow stuff. And I like such the, the word stuff in it because it's, it's, uh, it gives no shape to anything. It gives no form to anything. So it, it's, it's just so open that uh, there is like uh, acceptance for what, what comes up. And uh, yeah. I was in, several times in the week. I was able uh, in a situation which I normally I judged or oh, boring or not comfortable to to think about yellow stuff, and it made everything different. It was really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anything right now? Okay. Well, we've finally gotten to chapter one. Made it through the introduction and all of that in the last couple of sessions. And we're starting with chapter one. The first title is Learning About Joy and Love. In school, we are taught to learn by fitting new information into our already existent understanding, like fitting pieces into a jigsaw puzzle. This is what I call defensive learning. Defensive learning assumes that we already know the most important things there are to know. And anything new is an extra puzzle piece that must be fitted into the portion of the puzzle we have already assembled. If we encounter something that does not fit into our current knowledge continent, we tend to ignore the new thing as irrelevant. Our irrelevancy filters are so fast that many times we do not even recognize when we have decided to ignore something because it does not fit in anymore. If we ignore something before realizing we have ignored it, then that thing becomes invisible to us. Defensive learning, although widely used, is extremely linear. It allows us to only learn more about what we already know about. When we gain maturity and have a wish to enter the unknown, which is in quotes, we may discover that our defensive approach that at first seemed to protect us has now become our prison. Expansive learning. The secrets in this book will be discovered through stepping out of the defensive learning prison and experimenting with a nonlinear learning method that I call expansive learning. Expansive learning is what we did as children before we went to school. Think of how much a child learns in his or her first years hand-eye coordination, standing, walking, speaking, social etiquette, to name a few skills. Compare that with how much you learned in this past year. Expansive learning assumes 
that we know almost nothing. It encourages us to accept new puzzle pieces on their own merits. It allows unrecognizable information to stand alone in us, still permitting us to use it without demanding that it fit anywhere into our present field of understanding. Expansive learning occurs in parallel by allowing us to build understanding on many isolated construction sites simultaneously. It is nonlinear because some pieces may not fit together for years, perhaps forever, while other pieces may come together in moments, sliding into place whole chunks at a time. Expansive learning is not about trying to create one all-encompassing unified field theory, such as Einstein sought during the later part of his life. The expansive approach involves staying open and flexible, keeping new options available, even if they make no sense at first. Compared with what we already know, expansive learning is therefore indispensable as the foundation for radiant joy, brilliant love, which explores domains of human relationship and love fields interlaced with much that we do not yet know. With expansive learning, it is okay to not know. And this is a big thing. It's, this, it's a really big thing to give yourself permission to not know. It is so contrary to the training from school and from the images that were given about what a successful person is or an intelligent person or somebody who has competence. These are people, you know, you're supposed to know. And so to, to give yourself permission to be an okay person, actually, actually to even be a powerful person, somebody who has options to choose from that most people don't because you don't know, this is a very new and different thing. And I, I encourage you to make some experiments this week with that, particularly admit, like once a day even, just look somebody straight in the face and say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Give no excuse, no excuse at all. Do not feel sorry for yourself. Do not, do not play small. Stand there in your full power and use it as a doorway to a new kind of learning or a new kind of relating or a new kind of um, stepping stone into a new territory using the I don't using the unknowing we won't get into it in this book but I'll keep mentioning it is that one of the most powerful ways to get access to different relationship space is to use the gaps so there are nine gaps that you can use. And one, is the, one of them is the gap in knowing. So what that means is that in, in the case of knowing, there's things that you know and things that you know that you don't know. And then there's, there's some things that you don't know that you don't know. And this is, this is one of the gap places where you can, if you step into not knowing, then you're available for knowing new stuff. So new stuff can come to you when you're, when you're not blocking with, 
when you're not blocking it with the story in yourself, I have to know, I already know, I must know, you hold this knowing stuff, it just blocks everything new. You will get bored very fast with relationship if you think that you know about relationship. So one of the experiments this week is to once a day, stand in your own full power, look somebody straight in the face and just go, I don't know and be okay with that. I'll keep reading. With expansive learning, it is okay to not know. You simply move into the unknown and start looking around in the unknown, already assuming that you will not understand everything and making it okay that you do not understand everything. While not knowing, you allow yourself to see what you see and Feel what you feel without trying to fit it in anywhere. This means that you might not know what it is that you are experiencing at first or how it works or how it all fits together. You just stay present and in time the new things that you notice will become more and more familiar. Eventually they can establish whole new continents of understanding for you that vastly enrich the quality of your life and your relationships. The challenge of expansive learning is that if you are accustomed to defensive learning, expansive learning may seem disorderly. In the midst of these explorations, you may have the sensation that you are no longer standing on solid foundation of logic with defendable reasons and that you are less in control of your own learning process. This is exactly how expansive learning feels. And it's great. Observations, that was my opinion. Observations and arguments encountered in these pages will tend to be less heady and more experiential. Radiant joy, brilliant love will instruct you in using language as a bridge to communicate new experiences based on your own internal reference points, your personal sensations in the immediate present. While expansive learning includes diversity and chaos, don't assume that it will only cause anxiety or disruption. As you venture further into the territories that this book explores, you may be quite surprised to find that you can actually relax and be effective without being in total control or having your usual level of certainty. So as we, as we get further into the book, you'll, you'll, you'll start having names for the parts of yourself that freak out when you're not in control or not certain. You'll have names for it. One of those words is the box. So there's a part of ourselves that has expectations about how things should go and how things should be. And when things are not that way, when you're not in control, when, you're not, when you don't have it completely, completely under control, and, it's, and, and, and you think things are slipping away, what you're going to learn is that that's actually where love happens. That's actually where aliveness happens. This is where a relationship is happening, where, where you don't have certainty. I mean, imagine trying to be with another living human being and trying to be certain 
about anything. What for? This is a mental distortion that we've been uh, trained in that, that we've come to expect that we should be in control and be certain. And in fact, it's a big hamper, it's a big barrier against being present and with another alive human being and being alive yourself. I'll keep reading. You may even find a sense of empowerment and experiential freedom when you no longer need to carry around a heavy platform of linear arguments on which to defend your actions or inactions. You may discover a refreshing excitement in uncertainty. As the experience of not knowing indicates that you have entered a gateway to new possibilities. Now, I understand that many of us have been brought up or raised in an environment where there may have been a man or a woman, mother or father or caretaker, who was raised in the patriarchy, in, in which uh, a kind of authority or leadership or parenting was considered to be appropriate. And so um, this, they may have tortured you. They may, many of us have been tortured, psychologically abused by, for example, I'll use an example of a man, but it could also be a mom, a, a woman, who, or a teacher even, who, who, who expected us to give really good reasons for everything that we're doing to have to justify and explain and defend every single move that we, that we were doing or be ridiculed or be uh, embarrassed or be attacked. And this not just one time, but over and over again. And as a child, it doesn't take more than one or two times of that stuff to formulate a survival strategy in which we arm ourselves with reasons as if reasons were valid or useful. As if, if we could make a really good explanation, we would not be punished. We would not be abused. So that many of us got a training like that from either from some kind of a, somebody who was an older person who had some kind of quote unquote authority, teacher, parent, somebody like that. So, so when I say these things, I say them you know, I can write them and, and, and they, sound light, they sound easier, they sound light, you know, and it sounds like, okay, yeah, all right, so I'm going to drop my reasons for arguments for defending myself. I'm just going to drop it. Well, it, it's not so easy, and yet it is possible. But it, it begins with self-observation. It begins with noticing the habit. It begins with noticing that you are keeping a little drawer very close to the front of your mind, full of really good reasons to defend everything that you're doing. You're going to the refrigerator and you left the refrigerator door open. You have a reason for this. You got cheese out. You must have a really good reason for cheese. Now, you close the refrigerator door. Now, what's your reason? And you, and you have this box where you keep these reasons at the ready, just in case one of these authority figures is behind you and catches you doing something without a really good reason. And then it's just this, it's terrorizing, it's being terrorized. So 
a number of us have been terrorized in this way. So can anybody, does anybody want to admit that? Does anybody have that in your, in your nervous system? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for noticing it and for admitting it. So um, if, you, if you just acknowledge to yourself, I have been psychologically abused or emotionally abused and maybe even physically abused because of that, then there are steps you can take. There's ways to become a different person. There's ways to heal your nervous system. So mm, that's not what this particular book is about or what we're talking about, but I just want you to know you're not a lost cause. So don't give up on yourself, okay? The human spirit is resilient, radiant, love, brilliant, joy is powerful. You've got forces in the universe that are behind you that want you to get this stuff and come out without reasons, come forward and, and connect. It's a time to really connect and heal. So there's big forces in the universe that can support you if you start taking steps in those directions, do little experiments. So you can try to do some things this next week for no reason at all. Or take that drawer in your mind and just make sure nobody's looking and then dump it out so that it's empty. And you just keep it empty. Every time you get a reason, actually get a saw and cut out the bottom of the drawer. So every time you put a reason in there, just falls down and disappears. Like just keep the thing empty. There's a lot of great experiments you can do to move forward with, with those kind of things. You are not a lost cause. There is, it isn't, but you do have to do something. You, 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 nobody, can, nobody can stop you now from keeping reasons that in your, in your little box. Nobody can do that but you. And if you wanna empty that thing and have no reasons, nobody can stop you from getting rid of those reasons. So you, you're in a very powerful position. You, have, you get to be a human being. And when you, when you ask, you have these conversations like we're having now, you get possibilities that you didn't have before. And it isn't that you were stupid that you didn't have before. Like just before I sat down in this chair right now, I bashed my head on this light up here. I don't know if you see that light. So I just, I just walked over and bashed my head into it right there. So I don't know. And it's like, you know, sometimes, in, you know, if you do something like that, you might go, God, I'm stupid. God, what a st I did it twice, actually. I bashed my head twice in the same light within about 30 seconds. So, so I, I don't, I used to probably, I used to think I was stupid. I used to, being stupid is the worst possible thing for me. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know, some years ago, I stopped doing this stupid thing. I just have a hole in my head or a dent or something, but I just, it just, so the same thing is like, you don't have to, you can move through life, you can actually make mistakes, you can do things without a reason and you're not stupid. You can move, you can choose, you can ask, you can declare things and you don't have to have a reason. So this is really revolutionary stuff we're talking about and we're only on page 14. All right, I'm, I wanna read a couple, another couple paragraphs and then stop for a few minutes. <clears throat> I just want to read that last sentence again. You may discover 
a refreshing excitement in uncertainty, in not knowing. As the experience of not knowing indicates, when you're having this experience of not knowing, it indicates to you that you have entered a gateway to new possibilities. It's a great little signal. God, I don't know. Ah, I have some new possibilities. This is a wonderful, it's like a compass. It's like a Jack Sparrow, Pirates of the Caribbean compass. Bye. Bye. Discoveries do not come without some reorientation, however. The wilder the reorientation, the more interesting the discovery. If you guard yourself against disillusionment and disassembly, you eliminate the chance of discovery. This is big stuff. Conversely, the more accepting you are of wild reorientation, the more interesting your discoveries can be. You can rely on your mind's astonishing ability to establish new definitions for normal. Think how quickly you adopted into your daily life with new technologies like microwave ovens or a fax or a DVD or a CD or a mobile telephone or a new personal computer or the internet, the mind can quickly adjust what it calls normal to include new ways of thinking, feeling, acting, and being. During continual expansive learning, new normals do not last very long. Soon, the next disorientation comes along and you again experience the uncertainty of being in strange territory. Such is the life of an explorer. A true explorer can count on being periodically uncomfortable for the rest of her days. Learning about radiant joy and brilliant love is comparable to being in a space pilot training school where becoming functional in groundlessness is part of the program. If you question whether or not you qualify as an explorer, you can lay your worries to rest. If you have read this far, you can be assured that you are already an explorer. If not, if you were not an explorer, you would have put this book down long ago. Welcome aboard the Spaceship Training School. This chapter will present 10 essential actions and attitudes of expansive learning to guide you through everything that follows in this book. Considering these perspectives can help you catalyze a significant deepening of your relationship intelligence. Expansive learning includes, one, building and expanding matrix. Two, making vital distinctions. Three, getting on the one team. Four, thinking beyond separation. Five, taking your time. Six, letting your patterns disintegrate. Seven, being okay with looking bad. Eight, avoiding naivete. Nine, apprenticing to a guide, and 10, being lovable. By making sincere efforts to blend these actions and attitudes into the basic mix of your daily life, you become an expansive learner. 
The surprise awaiting your discovery is that the precious innocence and raw passion of expansive learning makes you an authentic aphrodisiac, exuding the scent of radiant joy and brilliant love. I would buy this book. Are there any questions or comments right now? Can you help me spot people? <clears throat> I'd like to share something. Hold on, because... Doris. Doris, can you hear me? Yeah. This is not really a sharing space. It's not really a sharing okay. space. This is more of a question space. Do you, do you have any question? Okay. Okay. You answered all Great. my questions. Right all right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Katrin. Um, thank you. What is getting on the one team? What does it mean? What do you want to say with it? <laughs> Maybe I'm expansive learning by not knowing it. <laughs> getting on the one team. Yeah. So, I mean, we will get there. And uh, the one team is really what I was speaking about before, which is these forces of nature that are supporting your evolution of consciousness. So, it's when, when we're born and raised in a modern culture that doesn't even understand the word transformation and has excluded authentic adulthood initiatory processes from being in the culture at all, then when we're attracted to those things, when, when we actually want to, to discover transformation and initiatory processes, we are, we are at the edge of the culture. But there's you're not alone at the edge of the culture. I mean, look around, look, connect with the people on the screen here. There's, there's really thousands, there's millions. There's, there's really <clears throat> around 30 million cultural creatives on the planet right now who are your brothers and sisters, your colleagues, your allies. And that's the one team that we're talking about. So it's like, it's like getting it that you're part of a team. You're not, an, you're not alone. You're, you, you, are, you are strange, which is good. I mean, strange is good. I mean, it's like, I would be lying if I was to say that you're not unique, because you are unique. So, but there's, still, there's a team of, of weirdos. There's a team of edge workers. And you're, you're, it takes a shift of orientation to walk into a cafe and scan for the edge workers, you know, instead of scanning for the guy that your mother would like you to be with, something like that. <clears throat> Thank you. The shift is a completely different focus of, of looking around and working with problems and opportunities and issues that come up. It's like a completely different way. So the one team is, has this a different orientation. So it means like that. Great. Any other questions right now? I'm noticing how we're in chapter one and we're these 10 things, we will dive into them, each one of them separately. And we're, ba we're basically building context. We're putting in 
the foundations or it's almost like if we are in a, a spaceship pilots training school, which is what this is, then in, in, a, in essence, we're building the foundation upon which the spaceship can take off. It's like the space platform. We're building that one piece at a time. So if you can feel these pieces going in and you can actually hold them, at, like it said, in expansive learning and go, okay, this is part of the spaceship platform that we're gonna build over the next few chapters to take off into something besides ordinary, take off out of the ordinary and go into extraordinary and archetypal, then it'll make sense what we're talking about. Some of the things I'm sure you will have heard of before and then some of the things will be so wildly bizarre that you'll you think you're on the science fiction channel so that's how it is any other questions right now all righty then <clears throat> section one chapter one building and expanding matrix. I just want to say right at the beginning that we're using the word matrix as different from the Wachowski siblings. Uh, and they made the movie matrix because we're, um, it just has a different meaning from that. It's the same word just has a different meaning. There are secrets you cannot understand, even if they stare you in the face for decades. How many people have noticed that over the decades? Yeah. Yeah. This kind of secret keeps itself. It stands invisibly before you until something in you changes. This book does not intend to reveal this kind of secret to you, it cannot. But by you doing the expansive learning experiments that we indicate in Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, like the experiments that you do during the week, by doing them, you gradually build in yourself something that makes it possible to see what you could not see before. Consciousness, commonly defined as greater awareness or expanded view, consciousness does not grow until it has something to grow on. This thing that builds in you, that consciousness can grow on, this is what we're calling matrix. It's something that grows in your being that consciousness can grow on. Matrix is the energetic framework upon which consciousness can grow. Learning that matrix exists and learning how matrix can be built adds tremendous clarity to the whole issue of personal development. For example, noticing that one person can easily learn and retain a new soft skill, like expressing feelings honestly, while another person struggles and falters it indicates differences in their matrix. Proceeding with personal development begins with building matrix. Think of a climbing rose bush. Before it can climb, it needs some kind of trellis to support its growth. Likewise, 
before human consciousness can grow, there needs to be a structure for consciousness, consciousness to expand onto. The trellis for consciousness is matrix, in no way related to the film of the same name. Many of the exercises and experiments described in this book are specifically designed to build matrix. I would say all of them at this point. Keep in mind that understanding how to do an experiment does not build matrix. I just want to say that again. The fact that you understand how to do an experiment does not build matrix. Only doing the experiment builds matrix. Doing an experiment is called practice, and practice is the means to radiant joy and brilliant love. The primary way in which we practice and thereby build matrix in relationship is by being with, living, being with others, living and being with others. by our commitments rather than as determined by our circumstances. Let me just read that again. The primary way in which we practice and thereby build matrix in relationship is by living and being with others as determined by our commitments rather than as determined by our circumstances. For example, you might decide to be more patient with your children and to spend more time simply sharing your presence with them without an agenda. However, when the day is done and you notice that you had no more patience, you might want to attribute the failure to the circumstances, like a conflict in your schedule or things starting too late or everyone being too tired or an unexpected visitor. This is not practice, this is defense. As an expansive learner building a new matrix for relationship, your practice would entail creating new ways to meet your commitments rather than caving into the circumstances. I think you know what I'm talking about here. I think you know that if you know if you face in if you allow, if you keep letting your circumstances choose how your day goes, rather than keeping certain commitments that you make for experimenting, then something else has won besides the part of you that is building matrix. You know, the habits have won, or your reasons have won, or the scared little child part of yourself has won. These other parts win. Back to the book. Practicing would instead be to produce the promised results regardless of reasons, excuses, or conditions. So this is a very powerful thing to notice or to practice, is to actually do what you say you're going to do, even when there are really good excuses not to. I'm reading still. Practice builds matrix for holding additional consciousness. Consciousness is everywhere. The more matrix you build, the more consciousness can show up through you. At the same time, however, it is useful to know that no matter how sincerely or how diligently you practice, 
matrix can only grow at a certain maximum rate of speed. While you can slow the growth of matrix to a minimum, the upper speed limit for building matrix cannot be exceeded, can't be broken. It can also be useful to know that there is no top end to building matrix. Expanded matrix automatically gives you the ability to venture into new territories of awareness. The corollary to this is that if you are surprised and suddenly find yourself experiencing unfamiliar territory, it could be simply that your matrix has been growing further than you thought. Anybody have that? It's like you find yourself with new opportunities or uh, new, new um, like support from new people and, and you go, how did this happen? You know, how did it suddenly happen? And, and the thing is that you're actually been growing, your matrix is growing faster than you thought. Did there, anybody ever have that? You know, okay, yeah. So that's your feedback. That's really, there's no really other way to check your matrix except by feedback from reality. Your feedback, reality will give you feedback about your matrix. So sometimes you'll, God, things will just happen for you. Things will, I don't know, it'll just, like, I don't know, we're, like we're trying to find a new place to stay and it's impossible right now to find a new place to stay because every place should be filled up because everybody has to stay home and nobody can move anywhere. So every place should be full. But all of a sudden, Div Yamshu, for example, he goes, I have two places you can stay. You have to, we had to choose, and, and neither one was available. He invented both of these places. That he just made space where there was no space. So, okay, how do, that doesn't happen by chance. It happens by, it's feedback. It's kind of feedback. And so anyway, I'm sure you all have many experiences of that kind of feedback happening in your life. Well, that's the kind of feedback you can count on. It's like feedback from reality, rather than when people react to you and tell you, ah, you're an asshole or God, you're, you're whatever, whatever story or projection they throw at you, you know, that's not really feedback. That's probably just reactivity. By the way, we have a really great website up now called reactivity.mystrikingly.com and it's got very powerful distinctions on it. If you get that website, your future will be different. If you, it's just called reactivity.mystrikingly.com and has experiments and really powerful distinctions. So it's useful to know what's reactivity and what's not, except of course in your own case, then it's, it can be painful to notice that you're just being reactive and it really isn't valid. I'll keep reading. At first, the idea of taking a journey into new territory sounds romantic and adventurous. And well, it is romantic and adventurous. It's better than any tropical island, white beach and warm seas fantasy world. But as you may already know, the experience of actually entering new territory can awaken hidden emotional surprises. Unexpected reactions can come from long repressed insecurities, 
or outdated, irrelevant decisions about yourself, or emotional wounds from communications never expressed or never heard, and so on. Since this book is designed to build matrix, any or all of these reactions may occur for you. I suggest that you take a breath and prepare yourself mentally and emotionally for meeting the unexpected before each reading session. Don't be dismayed if you find that some parts of your life turn upside down or you feel unusually agitated while reading this book. I'll, I'll tell you a story. There was a woman reading this book, it was in German, and the German version is not so wide, but then it's even thicker than this. Yeah, that one, that thing is heavy. So she's reading this book and her husband comes in the room and she goes, you should read this book. He goes, God, not another silly book. I'm, I'm not gonna read this book at all. And she throws the book at him. Well, he dodges out of the way, but he trips over a table and he falls down and he breaks two ribs. He goes to the hospital, gets his ribs fixed, and he comes back, he says, I'll read the book <laughs> with you. So, and they lived happily ever after. So it's a good story. Anyway, that's the kind of reactions we're talking about. Actually, there's a video, it's in German, I think it's still on our YouTube channel where we, um, for, it's a five minute video where, um, we, we advertise that we sell this particular a kit that you should buy when you're reading this book. And it has a number of in, ingredients in the kit. It has a rubber hat that you put over your head. So if you, if you, pull, you don't pull your hair out unconsciously while you're reading the book. You also have these big rubber gloves in the kit so you don't bite your fingernails. And then it has one of these police lights that you can hold up that has a red flashing light on. So if somebody comes in the room and you're in an emotional state, you turn the light on and they know it's not a good time to talk to you. And it has a big box of tissues you can use and a large bar of chocolate. So, and, and it had these rubber, rubber things that you could put on your book. So in case if you did actually throw it at somebody, it wouldn't hurt them so much. Anyway, I hope you have one of those kits. Feeling uncomfortable while reading this book does not mean that anything is wrong or that you should turn around and try to find your way back to the illusionary safety of what you formerly regarded as solid ground. Feeling uncomfortable or disoriented, as we've noted before, simply indicates that you are in the process of expansive learning. You are building matrix. Any questions at this point? I have a question. Is this Amelia? Yes, it's Amelia. Go, Amelia. Yeah. Um, what What should one do if if there's not enough patience for the growth happening? Let's say. Say that again. If there's not enough patience for what? For the growth happening. Ah, uh, the growth. You mean? Yeah. You mean you want to grow quicker? Mm, yeah, and 
it's like okay i understand this feels uncomfortable i'm in an uncomfortable area uh, yeah but how do i make it happen faster so i don't have to 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 cope with it <laughs> so long i mean yeah like how long will this happen will take so it, it comes from a place of, um, let's say, lack of patience, or um, I don't know. When, when, at least that's how I function. When I start doing something, I'm looking forward for results. And so there are some situations where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. What do you have any suggestion for for that kind of sensation? Yes, it's to enjoy the tunnel. So I don't mean to be funny or trite, but there was a spiritual teacher named Chogyam Trungpa and somebody asked him, he was a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner and somebody asked him the question, what do you do when you find yourself in hell? And his answer was, I try to stay in hell. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but after I heard that, I tried it i tried i tried it and uh it's amazingly effective in terms of learning as much as you can from the discomfort the uncomfortable experience so and and i don't want to promise this but because i was committed to being in hell in a discomfort then rather than resisting it you know, trying to skip over that part. You know, there's this film called Click. I think it's called Click. And uh, it's about a guy who finds a television uh, turner, a clicker, a television thing. And every time he clicks it, then his life skips over the uncomfortable parts. So the problem with, uh, the, with the thing was that it would actually learn what his whole body or his box or his emotions what it started to think of as uncomfortable and then it would automatically skip over anything like that so in two hours of the movie he's at the end of his life he skipped over all the bad parts you know the divorce and the illness and somebody he lost all his money he just skipped over all this part and he's dying from a heart attack and he and he at the end that was the end and his son comes up to him, you know, and says, I wish I would have known you better, you know, and, and he's, he's realizing that it was this clicker that he had that skipped over the uncomfortable parts that he didn't even know his son. It was, he just skipped over those parts where he had to learn something or change or, or transform or go through the liquid states. So I, you could, I'm sure get one of those clickers. Maybe you have one already. Maybe you use it. Maybe you try to numb yourself out whenever things are chaotic or you can't control them or they're, they seem uncomfortable or painful or you, you don't look good. You know, we're only on page 17, but I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to look bad in this book. Probably I'm even going to look bad in this book. You know, we're going to look bad together. And that's the one team. We are the one team that looks bad together. It is not the looking good team. It's the learning team. So we're the one team is the learning team. We will look bad together and talk about it. It's great, that, Amelia, that you could bring that up. 
And I, how many people can relate to what Emilia was talking about in terms of wanting to get through the, yeah, look at the people's hands. I mean, it's like a lot of us wanted to get through these uncomfortable times as fast as possible. It's a relevant question. We're human beings, you know, when things feel quote unquote bad, uh, we want to skip over them. Another teacher, his name was George Gurdjieff. How many people have heard of George Gurdjieff? He was a teacher in France. He, um, there's a little bit of him in there. I can just, I can just guarantee it. He, he spoke uh, Armenian, and so his language was a little broken. But he, he would say, good situation, bad situation. Bad situation, good situation. So the times when we're building matrix, it doesn't feel good. Doesn't, it really is uncomfortable in our five bodies in different ways, liquid states, confusion, powerlessness, hopelessness. Welcome to the transformational journey. You can, if you don't, if you want to exit you just go to the side door, we'll give you all your money back, and, and you don't have to take the ride. Maya. <laughs> may, may I continue with a consequent question? Um, okay, and then Maya. Okay. Um, so you said that, yeah, it, it feels bad, but it's the right thing to do to just, you know. I'm not be. saying that. I'm not saying that if it feels bad, it's the right thing. There's not enough distinctions in what you said for me to agree okay. with you, but keep going. Yeah, so basically that's exactly the question. Um, how do we get distinctions about whether it's okay to stay in that uncomfortable situation or just get out of it because it's not okay? How do you figure out if it's, mm -hmm. if it's a tolerable, uncomfortable or untolerable one? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a procedure it's called Reading the Book, Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And by page 560, you will have so many clarity distinctions about determining that. I guarantee you. So when we get to page 560, ask me that question again, all right? What? And in the meantime, you could uh, join a possibility team. We have online possibility teams at possibilityteam.org. And some of the people there have read the book already or done some trainings and they have some distinctions they'd be happy to share with you about if you're feeling a feeling or an emotion, if the person across from you is being a gremlin or a parent ego state or a child ego state or is, has hidden purposes that they're trying to use on you. And if you haven't made a boundary or if you're being in the child, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of distinctions that you can use to navigate every single moment ongoingly of your interactions, if you want to continue in that or not. You know, if this is a suffering that's useful or is this a suffering that is, is not useful? Okay, that's where we're going. Thank you. Maya. Now, um, I don't know if it's helpful, but it just popped up and I wanted to add it. In yoga, we say, mm, try to find the comfort and the discomfort. I, that's why I don't do yoga. <laughs> no, but then I think 
um, if you do it like with devotion or I don't know if humble is the right word. Are you, are you answering Amelia's question? I, I just wanted to add this. Okay. But you I can, don't know if it helps. Yeah, but if you have something useful for Amelia, you can just get her contact info and, and have a conversation. That's perfect. You know, it's wonderful because, you know, a, a simple answer is not going to necessarily help anybody in here. Like the stuff that comes from Facebook or that you stick on top of your refrigerator, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to find that kind of stuff. We're trying to build matrix and building matrices is <laughs> engineering. We're doing engineering inside of your being, we're putting in distinctions in your being. They bypass your mind, they go in, you might not even understand them, but you get them. That's what we're doing. But if you think you have something for Amelia, give her a call, will you? Write to her, okay? Yep. Great, thank you. Anybody else right now? Iris. Yes, Iris um, I have a question about the matrix to understand it a bit more. So you say it's an energetic framework in which consciousness can grow, right? Yes. So does that mean, or do you think then that children, for example, are born without matrix? No. Okay. Why not? Because uh, I have remembered past lives that I have had. And for example, my own two daughters, um, my first daughter, Amethyst, when she was three years old or something, I handed her a pencil. She held it perfectly in her hand and she started writing with the pencil. I go, God, I didn't know kids could do this. My next daughter, I handed her a pencil at the same age. She grabbed it kind of like this and stuck it in her mouth or she had no idea how to, what to do with that thing. So different people have, are born with different uh, distinctions. What this doesn't explain about matrix in the book that we've learned maybe since then is that matrix is built from distinctions. Distinctions change who you are. And you can, you can notice this because, I mean, the whole idea of a distinction is that, is that for example, if you maybe that's it maybe it is in here i'm not sure but if you if you if you're a child forget and you hear and you have this experience pretty soon you know it comes in your ears and it's called sound you know and you can notice and pretty soon you can start to distinguish well that sound is my mom <clears throat> but that other sound comes from this furry thing when it's hungry so it's the dog and then and then there's a certain sound that you hear that is called music well, as you develop distinctions about music, you start noticing that, well, there's live music and then there's recorded music. And then there's rock and roll and country and rock and pop music and classical music. And in the classical music, this is Brahms and Beethoven and Bach. And if you get into Bach, you go, well, this is Bach's seventh symphony and this is, the, this is the one they played in the London Philharmonic Orchestra building before they changed the acoustics because you can hear the echo in the back. You know, you get these distinctions and distinctions go in your being and your being cat is, becomes more aware, more conscious. So it's about 
distinctions. And each distinction you get changes your relationship to the universe. Okay. Everyone is born with like different kind of matrix, different frameworks, and like the framework kind of what it's about is the ability to make distinctions between everything that happens around you and inside of you. Yeah, you notice. You become aware. And you start to see. So, you know, in terms of relationship, if somebody says something to you, you can tell from the purpose of their intention as a distinction what their purpose is. As soon as somebody says something, the purpose is like an arrow. You shoot the arrow, you already know where it's going to land. Just when the arrow is shot, that's the purpose of the thing. So you can hear each statement or non-statement or part of a statement from each person, for example, what they say has a purpose. You can sense the purpose. So if the purpose is a hook, trying to hook you into uh, push one of your buttons and have an, a reaction to feed their gremlin, mm -hmm. or if the purpose is to rescue you because they think that you're incompetent and you can't rescue yourself, or this purpose is to punish you because they can't make a boundary so they want to they're trying to get you to stop doing something, but they, the only thing they can do is punish you to try to get you to stop. Or if the purpose is an invitation to, sec, to sexual energy flirtation, you know, that that's the purpose. So these are all purposes that you can distinguish once you have the distinctions in your being, once you've landed, once they've, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is, the, this is what we're doing is putting distinctions in your being. That, and the distinctions, most of the distinctions that are in the book do not come from modern culture. They come from edge, the edge work. They come from possibility management. They come from years of work out in, in archiarchy, which is next culture. Culture that comes after matriarchy and patriarchy have run their course is next culture, archiarchy. That's where most of these distinctions come from. Thank you. Was that what you were talking about or asking about? Yeah, it was. Yeah, great. Thanks. Great. Great. Anything else right now? Yeah, Phyllis. Uh, Doris, actually Doris was next and then Phyllis. Doris yeah. had her hand up for a second. Go ahead, Doris. Yeah, thank you. If I'm realizing now how much um, judgments and it's, it feels like old programs are running really strong and, and I was aware about that. So I'm totally in a liquid state right now. What can I do concretely if I know this in relationship with the man that old programs are running? Really, it's like, it feels like a software is on and, and I'm going out and I'm allowing myself to, to don't know. And, but what can I do concretely? One of the things oh, that I do. Just be in that moment and, and, yeah. One of the things that I do in a case like that is I stop. As soon as I notice, I stop for no reason. I don't give a reason why I stopped. It might be in the middle of a sentence. It might be some act. Whatever I'm doing, I just stop. And I take a breath. And then I ask for a do-over. I say, I'm going to do that over. And then you start again from the beginning, from a new point of origin, from a new starting place. You start again from the adult place or from the sorceress place or from the woman place, or from the possibility manager place, or from the, the um, expert in 
financial investments space. You start from a different point of origin. You say, I, I want to have a do-over. And then you, without no time, you, you, you can even stand up and spin around. I do that. And then I just start over. And then it's so amazing. I've, almost, I don't, I've never had a person, as far as I remember, say, no, I'm not going to give you a do-over. You can't have a do-over. So don't wait around, just have a do-over. A, a do-over do in, in German? Yeah. Uh, mach weiter. I'm aware. Mach, mach uh, anders. Mach anders. Mach noch mal anders. Okay, mach anders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Phyllis. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so a lot of those things that you just said about, um, you know, trying to figure out where the other person is, what the purpose is for conversation, whether it's a hook, is it coming from the gremlin? So how do you handle a situation or where a lot of that communication is coming at you? How do you turn that around? And, or, uh, I know you can ask questions of the other person, but what, if you're getting all these red flags, of these things happening, like someone may want to punish you or they may want to hook you. Do you, you know, do you walk away from that? Or? Usually, the first thing that I usually do in that case is I have a meta conversation. I have a conversation about the conversation and I don't wait. I don't wait more than a half a sentence. I don't wait for a half hour before I have a meta conversation. If there's one half of a hook thrown at me, I shift into having a conversation about the conversation because that creates the possibility of possibility. So the meta conversation is, it looks like you're throwing a hook at me right now and I'm not interested in having a gremlin feeding conversation. So you have to kind of name whatever, whatever the kind of conversation is that's happening and you, give it, you just call it by name. You say, this is, uh, competition you're trying to create. This is a better knowing thing you're trying to create. Uh, it's a blaming thing you're trying to create. It's a ridiculing. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in that. So is there any particular reason why a person like you is committed to trying to have a conversation like that with me right now? So you can have a, a conversation about the conversation. And then, you know, if they say, if they say, oh, sorry, I, I didn't notice that, or God, can, can let's start over again, or whatever, let's try again. You know, give them a couple times. But if they keep going back, immediately jump back to the meta conversation, immediately, without, without letting yourself be a foot mat, you know, a fußabtreter, uh, like a wiping your feet mat. Don't sit around and be that at all. And after a couple times, you can just say, look, you know, uh, life is short. I'm, I'm really committed to transformational spaces. I like high drama. I like adult and extraordinary conversation spaces. And it looks like we're not going there, so catch you later and just walk off. But, but I, I will give people a chance um, to have a meta conversation, to notice that they notice that I notice what's, what's been going on and I'm just not interested in playing the game. I'm not gonna participate in that. Thank you very much. Yeah, cool. Very helpful. Cool. Great. Great. So I'd like to dive into this point two for just a little bit. We probably won't finish, but 
I would go for a little bit more into that before we end for the evening, unless there was some burning something somewhere, somebody's hand I didn't see. Anybody? Going once, going twice. Point two. Is that okay, great, Clinton. God, you, just made it. you barely made it, Mia. Okay, what is it? Thank you, thank you. Um, this, um, does the fifth body have a center? Yes. That was easy. <laughs> oh man, it fried the circuits. Look, she just froze right up. You know, that's what happens when we start having archetypal conversations. The technology these days just can't really quite handle it. So careful when you're asking these archetypal questions. Mia just froze out there. So we'll, if she thaws out, we can continue, but that, the answer is yes. Okay, point two, making vital distinctions. That's appropriate, isn't it? A distinction divides, yes, cool, we talk about it. A distinction divides one set of things into two or more sets of things through discerning important but previously unnoticed differences. That is what a distinction is. For example, a bowl of apricots is only a bowl of apricots until you distinguish between underripe, exactly ripe, and overripe apricots. The apricot distinction can make a difference in your breakfast. The distinctions in this book can make a difference in your relationship. Making distinctions is a foundation for expansive learning. Distinction making creates clarity that you did not have before, which reveals options that you did not see, see to choose from before. So in short, it's distinctions create clarity. Clarity creates power. It's this amazing formula. You don't have the distinction. If you don't have clarity, look for the distinctions. If you don't have power, look for the clarity. So there's a lot of places where we don't have the power to choose or declare or ask. We feel powerless. In any situation in which you feel powerless, it's because you don't have clarity. In any situation you don't have clarity, it's because you don't have the distinctions. So get distinctions. All right, new options permit you to take relationship actions that you never took before. This is totally fun stuff. Actions that can awaken previously undreamed of aliveness, pleasures, and possibilities in your relationships. So that's what you get from new options. And that's what you get from new distinctions. You get new options. So the relationship distinctions made in this book are not made in modern culture at large. We could not learn them from our parents for example, because they did not have them. We did not learn from parents and we did not learn the distinctions from teachers in school for the same reason, they didn't have them. Without making and living in these new distinctions that are coming from the book and without knowing what sort of relationship you are creating in each moment, you will automatically tend to create what this book refers to as ordinary human relationship. And since the distinctions are part of your thoughtware, ordinary human relationship is what you create when you have standard human intelligence thoughtware with the letters S-H-I-T. That would be shit thoughtware. That's what you get from ordinary, ordinary human relationship. There is nothing wrong 
with creating ordinary human relationship. It simply produces predictable mechanical experiences in relating with other human beings, such as competition or low drama or um, um, negative emotional response or et cetera, et cetera. Without making new distinctions, you may never even suspect that anything other than ordinary human relationship is possible. This is one of the things that makes me angriest and saddest. And at these days, it makes me also quite afraid that the general population of humanity, in particular the ones working high up in the global hierarchies, are using ordinary standard human intelligence thoughtware and creating ordinary results. And right now we need extraordinary and archetypal results. But then again, maybe we had hopes, maybe you had hopes. Maybe after looking around at hundreds of ordinary couples, you developed a deep heart's desire to create something more profound with your life and your connection with another person. You may have had a silently pulsating wish without knowing how to make the moments of your relating into a sanctuary for ecstatic love. Fortunately, in the domain of expansive learning, not knowing how to do this does not matter. Rather, not knowing how to do this is a gateway to having intentions and making efforts that matter. It's your intentions and your efforts, your experimenting that matters. This book can inflame your intentions with clear distinctions and educate those efforts with practices. If you live out the rest of your life and waste your potential, you will lose a precious opportunity and, and suffer a painful loss. Probably you know people who are older and on their deathbed and who have looked back on their life and have a painful loss. But with these distinctions in place, however, you have the potential to bring your relationship out of a shadowy chaos into a bright vibrancy. As you read over the relationship distinctions listed below, do not struggle to try to fully understand them all right now. They are presented here to give you an overview of where we will be going in following chapters. Number one, relationship distinctions. Relationship is ongoing, moment-to-moment, nonlinear creation in one of three domains. Ordinary human relationship, extraordinary human relationship, or archetypal human relationship. So let me just say that again. Relationship is moment-to-moment -moment creating in one of these three domains. Ordinary, extraordinary, or archetypal. That's it. That's what you're doing in each moment, creating in one of those domains. Two. You're either conscious that you create the quality of your relationship or you are not conscious of it. And you try to avoid the responsibility of the quality of the relationship that you're creating. So you want to blame somebody else or give it to the circumstances like that. So either conscious or not conscious of the quality of relationship. And if, it's, if you're not conscious, then you try to avoid responsibility. This is because Responsibility is applied consciousness. So we didn't know that when we wrote the book, but this is what it is. Responsibility is applied consciousness. Number three, 
if you try to avoid responsibility for creating the quality of your relationship, then you unconsciously create ordinary human relationships. So every time you try to avoid the pain of the feedback that you're getting about the quality of the relationship that you're having, you're creating ordinary human relationship. This is the value of feeling the pain. It's rocket fuel. It is an impulse to do something different. So that's why it's valuable to feel the pain of seeing you're creating ordinary human relationship. If you try to avoid responsibility for creating the quality of the relationship, then you're trying to create ordinary human relationship. Number four, if you are conscious that you create the quality of your relationship and you take responsibility for your thoughts, feelings, and actions as an adult man or woman, <coughs> there's nothing about this for me. Reality is giving me feedback. I better read that again. If you are conscious that you create the quality of your relationship and you take responsibility for your thoughts, feelings, and actions as an adult man or woman, then you can create extraordinary human relationship. Number five, if you consciously create the quality of your relationship and take responsibility for the archetypal context of that relationship, then we can create archetypal relationship. I'll just mention on the side that we'll be getting into how to create context, how to establish context for a space. So relationships always occurring in a certain kind of space. When you are the space holder, the first thing you do is set up the context. And the context can be either ordinary, extraordinary, or archetypal. So um, then you can take responsibility for establishing an archetypal context in your relationship. And that's where you can create archetypal relationship. We'll talk more about that later. Number six, you cannot create either extraordinary human relationship or archetypal relationship unconsciously. Both take conscious, <coughs> both take conscious creation. You can't, you can't do it accidentally. It takes consciousness to do extraordinary and archetypal. Number seven, you cannot create archetypal relationship without first being able to consciously and sustainably create extraordinary human relationship. That is pretty clear, I would think. But you have to be able to create extraordinary before you can create archetypal. Number eight, you cannot consciously create extraordinary human relationship until you become painfully aware of how, when, and why you unconsciously create ordinary human relationship. Welcome to your underworld and welcome to your gremlin. Number nine, gaining all that is required to create and enter the domain of archetypal relationship can take a long time and a lot of guided effort. Number 10, this looks like it's, this is my opinion, it's not a distinction, it says right there. Number 10, there is no better life than taking the time and making the efforts to learn, to establish the context and navigate to archetypal relationship. 
this last is not a distinction, it's just my own personal opinion. That's where we're going. The next section is called Getting on the One Team, number three. We just have a couple minutes left. I won't start that right now. Is there any, any questions or comments before we end our study group this week? Are you clear on your experiments that we're inviting you to do? Yes, but can you repeat them? I didn't write them down. What if you repeat them? <laughs> okay. Um, well, one, let's see. I will. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, oh. Oh, I will say I do not know. At least one time per day. With no reason. With no reason, right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Ingrid, you have another one of them? Yes. To do something without any reason. This could drive yourself crazy. You're going to be surprised about how the reasons have been blocking some parts of you. Ingrid, when they start coming out, when they start blossoming, these parts of you that can come out that could not come out before because they didn't have a reason. You, you might find yourself in the bakery eating three Berliners or three donuts, you know, and you'll go, God, well, I don't have a reason. It's because it's not Fasnacht day or something. Don't be surprised to just go, ah, yeah, these experiments and radiant joy, brilliant love. This is wild times. Is anybody, anybody. So, so Scott, you have something? Scott, just about the, yeah, just about the I don't know. Um, so what can you help me with the distinction around like when is that sort of an empowering and helpful thing to say compared to it being say a communication torpedo? Okay, for Let's you, say. for you, all the time. It's going to be helpful all the time. I can only say that because Scott is my buddy. We're good friends. We spent God two or three weeks in Brazil over December. I lived with this guy and he, he knows everything. So for you, you're going to discover a whole new part of yourself. I'm serious, dude. I'm serious. You're going to discover, you know, a whole new parts of yourself that can come out when you unlock the prison door of having to know, having to have a reason, having to know. And so really, like, like for example, when I was first working with this, I came out of a training space and it was lunchtime and we, everybody was going to a restaurant for this lunchtime. And I walked down with this other guy and everybody was going to the left and I went to the right. And I just, my center moved me. My center is three inches below your belly button. It just moved me to the right. And this other guy, he went too. And so the whole group goes over there and I was a trainer and I went the other way. And I just, I didn't say anything to anybody. So we hit the street, I had to go right or left. I went left and he walked right with me. We both went left and then we crossed the street. I had no idea. Within about 20 meters, there was a couple sitting at a cafe right there that we could see them from the sidewalk. I, I never, I haven't seen these people for a couple of years. We sat down at their table. We just sat down at their table. 
And we say, hey, they go, God, are we good to see you, man? We are so glad we are getting divorced right now. Can you help us? So we, we sat down, swords out, and we went the whole divorce proceedings in about half hour, 45 minutes. You know, who owns what, how much money, like the whole thing was handled in 45 minutes. They, they were crying. They were laughing. We were all left. We, we stood up. We didn't get much to eat for lunch, but we had an incredible 45-minute divorce procedure that we weren't expecting to have right there. And it was because of exactly this, because we were available to the forces. We we're available to this raw conscious forces. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You've had these moments where you've, you've, you're moved by these other forces and you just, things that would not normally have happened that you could never figure out. You could not plan or you know, come up as a concept. It just wouldn't happen. And, and you just move. So did that help with your question? I think I, I think I might have to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> right? Argue? Yeah. Good. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So we are okay, Susan, we'll do one more. We'll do a Susan question. Yes. 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 Um, this is about the not knowing. So I've been trying, I noticed that I would say things that were really meant something to me. And then I would suddenly say not know it. I don't know as if I'm putting myself down. You're not talking about that. You're talking oh. about when you don't know. Yeah, Susan, for you, it's a different thing from Scott. So, mm -hmm. Susan, part of your, your survival strategy, part of your box is you learned this a long time ago, probably as a child, in order to represent yourself as not dangerous, in order right. to, be, to be not dangerous, you, you showed up in different spaces confused. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of the 18 standard boxes. It's box 13. You put together a confusion box for yourself so that when you encountered, when people would encounter you in a, in a possibly confrontive situation, you would be confused enough that they would consider you not dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then you're safe. Right. That's true. Yeah, it's a very effective survival strategy, except after you're 18 years old. And <laughs> right. At which time you could become bigger than your box. You can actually own your box. You can put your box where you want it and use it when it's useful, but not have it actually be there. That confusion that you, that you experienced, you might want to call that that you don't know. It's not. It's your box doing the confusion thing. Okay. So, so there's some work that you can do, a surgery, a procedure you can do to um, disidentify from your box, to put your, the survival strategy in your hand and actually stay present. And it will feel scary because, in fact, Susan, you do know. In mm -hmm. those cases, you know exactly what to say, what boundary to make, what, does, what you want, what you don't want. You will have exactly the power and the information inside of you, but it's not in your box. So the box kind of has this smile that you wear a lot, you know, that mm -hmm. nice, beautiful, happy person smile, and then you act a little fuzzy and confused. Like, for example, like right now, you're kind of off the screen. You're like to the side of the screen. You're not actually in the center of the screen. Can you see yourself right now in the screen? No, no, I blocked myself out, so I focus <laughs> on you. <laughs> okay. That's one of the, 
yeah, so all of those add up together. So it's different from the thing with Scott. It's very different. It's just a survival strategy, box 13, getting confused, being not dangerous, and then you survive, and you did survive. You just don't yeah. get to live so vibrantly in the dangerous oh. edge of ongoingly creating nonlinear possibility for you and your friends. Okay, thank you. That's where we're going. All right, you guys, thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming here tonight. Thanks for hanging out and talking. Some of you I don't know so well, and some of you, my buddies like Scott and Duvyamshu and all you guys, so nice to see you. And if you want to come around next week, we'll be back. Okay. All right. All right. Good night. Thank you. Good morning. Have a great time. Do your experiments. Be a problem. Let things fall apart. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank All right. you, Lincoln. You're welcome. You're really welcome. Bye. Yeah, and Chloe. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Merci. Merci. Merci.